0: This is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. A good talk radio show, and I'd say this is a good talk radio show,
1: will provide you the facts and then give you the analysis. And that's what I intend to do today. Yesterday, Republicans cleaned up in elections all throughout the country. The only thing that seemingly they didn't win that was unexpectedly wildly close was the governor's race in New Jersey, where the heavily, heavily favored Democrat uh, managed to eke it out. I will note he only managed to eke it out after he suddenly got a large infusion of votes at three o'clock in the morning. Gosh, funny how that keeps happening. Anyway, but uh, all right, I'm sort of joking, sort of tongue in cheek there. And even more so tongue in cheek because Glenn Youngkin uh, won the Virginia governor's race. And it's sort of one of the things that I've heard some people saying is, you know, there are a lot of Republicans who are 100 percent convinced that every election is rigged against them. And I would say that Democrats completely controlled all the mechanisms of power in the state of Virginia. Biden won Virginia by like 10 points. Uh, in the 2020 election, and yet a Republican eked out a very narrow victory over a Democrat. I, d- I don't think that happens if there is systematic voter fraud in place to ensure that no Republican ever wins. So maybe our assurance that Donald Trump only lost states like Pennsylvania by 100,000 votes was only because of voter fraud. Maybe we need to, you know, let's let's maybe pump the brakes on that just a little bit, just a little bit. Anyway, so The facts on the ground are that Republicans did awesome. They won special elections uh, to Congress. There was a race in Texas where a Republican won a seat in a 73% Hispanic uh, district. That was a majority Biden district uh, where we, we flipped it red. Uh, You have Republicans winning all the statewide races in Virginia, including flipping their House of Delegates from Democrat control to Republican control, uh, which no one thought was happening like a month ago. A month ago, it seemed like Terry McAuliffe, who some of you may remember Terry McAuliffe, Terry McAuliffe, uh, he was like the DNC chair, I think during sort of the Clinton years and into the Bush years, um, who was just a slime ball and completely unlikable. Um, so Glenn Youngkin wins in Virginia, and this was a great year, this was a great election day, and it's this weird sort of, not even the off-year election, it's sort of the off-off-year election, this was a great election day for Republicans nationwide. So, here's a little write-up on it by, uh, by Jim Garrity writing for National Review, just sort of giving the full picture, and then I'll give my sort of analysis, what does it mean? What does this mean for 2022? What does it mean for 2024? What does it mean internally for the Republican Party as far as goals? So let's uh, read Jim Garrity just to get a sense of this. He writes, welcome to the backlash, Democrats. And how are you this morning? Here in Virginia, the sun is shining a little brighter. The birds are chirping sweetly. The leaves are turning vibrant colors and Republicans just stomped the bejeebers out of Democrats up and down the ballot. A bloodbath, as University of Virginia professor Larry Sabato told Rachel Maddow last night. A five-alarm fire, as Van Jones declared on CNN. Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia governor's race by about 70,000 votes over Terry McAuliffe. Winsome Sears won the lieutenant governor's race by about 56,000 votes. And Jason Miares won the state attorney general's race by about 34,000 votes. Democratic incumbent Attorney General Mark Herring was the guy who called upon Governor Ralph Northam to resign despite his own past wearing of blackface. (laughs) The night was so bad that McAuliffe's surrogates canceled on Chuck Todd and wouldn't come out and eat their humble pie. Republicans picked up six seats to win control of the House of Delegates in Virginia, the oldest continuous legislative body in the Western Hemisphere, with 51 seats to the Democrats' 49 seats. By the way, just a note, the Virginia House of Delegates has more officials in it has more representatives than the california state assembly does this is one of the many problems with california state politics is that our state legislature our state legislators in california represent more people per legislator than any state legislative body in the country and it's not even close anyway anyway let's continue This is one of the indicators that even though Terry McAuliffe was a deeply flawed candidate, the problem for Democrats was not just him. With McAuliffe's defeat, the last gasp of the Clinton political legacy ends. This should dispel the defeatist "Virginia is a blue state now" talk among Republicans. We're used so that's sort of the big picture, and then you had all kinds of elections in other parts of the country going conservatively. Uh, uh, The city of Minneapolis rejected a sort of ballot proposition to eliminate the Minneapolis police force. Um, you had the New Jersey statewide races going in a heavily Republican way. In fact, the the majority leader of the New Jersey state house of representatives, whatever their equivalent is there, uh, he lost to a Republican trucker who didn't even spend, he spent like 135 bucks on his campaign and somehow he's defeating you know, one of the most powerful politicians in New Jersey. So what is driving this? What is driving this little surge in Republican fortunes? And what is it bowed for 2022? What is it bowed for 2024? This is John Girardi talking here. So I would say there are a couple of things. One, general dissatisfaction with the incumbent party which always or essentially almost always happens in the off-year elections that is playing some part once you're actually in power once you actually are responsible for things inevitably not everything will go well and it will be your fault democrats have overseen an anemic economy a not that great coronavirus recovery with no sort of end in sight. Democrats in various states have overseen the opening of a new school year that has more restrictions than people like. Still trying to keep kids wearing masks, even though there's not a ton of scientific evidence that it actually helps kids. Uh, Various kinds of business vaccine mandates that are often not very popular People aren't happy, generally speaking, with Democrats in a lot of parts of the country. The memory of Trump and of January 6th is just not looming that large for many of the suburban voters who sort of fled from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. And what we saw in Virginia is that those suburban voters who just didn't like Donald Trump came out in force for Glenn Youngkin. These are people who I think... Many of them are naturally Republican voters. They just didn't really like Donald Trump. Youngkin unequivocally did way better than Donald Trump in a lot of different categories. The chief category he did better at, though, was white women. White women supported Biden by a large margin in 2020, and they supported Youngkin, by a large margin, in 2021. That was the chief demographic that he flipped. These are suburban voters. So there's a couple of things to, to gain from this. One is that Donald Trump... I, I think we have to acknowledge as a party that Donald Trump had some strengths and he had some weaknesses. Donald Trump's strengths were that he brought into the party new and different kinds of voters that the Romneys and McCains and even the Bushes of the world were losing. Trump was bringing in non-college educated whites who often had been the exclusive preserve of Democrats, labor union type guys who would vote for Democrats because they were pro-labor. You know, labor union membership is going down. Those voters, the Democrat Party is running away from working class voters and is becoming more and more exclusively the party party of rich white people with expensive houses. We'll talk about that actually in the next segment about this salt deduction thing that the Democrats have now gotten in their $1.75 trillion spending bill. Uh, which is just hilarious, the utter hypocrisy of Democrats. And it shows who's actually in control of the Democrat Party. It's not working class voters. It's not working class African-Americans or Latinos. It's rich white people with big houses in San Francisco or L.A. or Washington, D.C. with those stupid in this house, we believe, yard signs in front of it. Anyway. Donald Trump appealed to a different segment of voters that Republicans had not been courting very successfully. At the same time, I think the evidence is kind of unequivocal here. Trump was repelling a certain class of voters who had traditionally been in the Republican fold. And a lot of them are suburban whites. People who live in suburbs we're not as crazy about Donald Trump. Okay. And and I'm not talking about your suburb. I'm not talking about Clovis. All right. Clovis is a little different. But I'm talking about places like suburban areas in Pennsylvania, suburban areas in Virginia, suburban areas that are not as conservative as Clovis is, where people sort of had a sense of Joe Biden is a normal politician. I'll vote for him. I'm tired of all the news with Trump. I'm tired of all the bombast with Trump, etc. But a lot of those people are naturally kind of Republican-leaning voters. They just didn't like Trump. They just got tired of Trump. So this is not me like 100% condemning Donald Trump or saying the Republican Party should be done with Trump or should move on from Donald Trump. Trump brought lots of good things into the party as far as a greater focus on working-class voters. But he does repel a certain segment of the voting populace, and often for reasons that don't have anything to do with politics, it has to do with his personality, his the way he is covered. And that's unequivocally, we can see that unequivocally in Virginia. The, the kinds of voters that went for Youngkin and didn't go for Trump It was pretty clear who that base were. It was suburban white voters, particularly white women. All right. So that's lesson one. And that lesson is basically this. I think going forward to 2022, I think we're going to continue to see Republicans kicking butt in 2022. I mean, these these results are very clearly pointing in the direction of Republicans are going to very handily take back the House and the Senate in 2022. It was already a, a heavy likelihood before these elections yesterday. And I think it's even more certain now. Like, it's not like Joe Biden has covered himself in glory in any way, shape or form over the course of this year. He's still stuck in trying to negotiate whether he's going to spend $3 trillion or $1.75 trillion with this reconciliation bill, and he still can't get Joe Manchin and Kyrsten Sinema on board for anything. They keep saying, oh, we've got a deal, but then they haven't actually agreed on key parts of the deal. Now Bernie Sanders is angry at um, some of the uh, more rich state-representing Democrats who have put in the SALT deduction back into the package which is basically just a tax break for gazillionaires so joe biden's not exactly covered himself in glory here and he's probably going to lose a lot of seats in 2022 but i think what we can see from this is trump brought good things into the party and we're still reaping the benefits of that what we need to do going forward, and forward for 2024, That's why I'm not quite as enthusiastic about Trump. I want a politician who has the kind of Trump priorities when it comes to trade, when it comes to bolstering the working class, when it comes to economics, when it comes to having a real emphasis on social issues. At the same time, maybe not Trump himself. Get a candidate whose personality is not driving away suburban white voters. Because if we had gotten those kinds of voters that are voting for Glenn Youngkin in the 2020 election, we would have won. Now, when we return, the other big factor in the Virginia race and what it means going forward nationally, how Glenn Youngkin leaned into controversial culture war social issues and won on that basis. That's next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi
0: Show, Power Talk, 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7 and AM 1400.
1: So there are a couple of lessons to learn from the big Republican wins around the country. One of them is that... You know, uh, while Trump has delivered the GOP some key new demographics, he's delivered them more Latino voters, he's delivered them more working class voters, he did repel certain kinds of suburban voters. And if you can appeal to both the suburban whites who didn't like Trump and the new Latino voters, the new non college educated white voters that Donald Trump delivered, you can have a pretty dominant coalition and win states like Virginia which in 2020 and 2016 were completely out of the Republicans' reach. The other big thing to note, and this was a Trump strength that I think the GOP correctly started embracing in this Glenn Youngkin race in Virginia. Republicans can win by leaning into culture war issues. Republicans can win specifically by leaning into culture war issues, not by avoiding them, all right? And this is difficult for California Republicans to understand, all right? A lot of California Republicans take this mindset, and California Republicans have been doing this for 30 years. we got to get away from those controversial social issues, and let's be fiscal conservatives and social liberals or social moderates. That's the way to electoral victory. Meanwhile, the California Republican Party has, drumroll if you will, zero statewide elected officials. We haven't won a statewide office since 2006 when Governor Schwarzenegger was re-elected. So we haven't won a statewide Republican office since 2006. We have not even a quarter of all the seats in both houses of the state legislature. So maybe the Republican strategy of never talk about social issues, just focus on fiscal conservatism, maybe that's not a great solution. Now, in the Virginia race, Glenn Youngkin was getting beat by Terry McAuliffe pretty soundly as recently as like a month ago. And what happened in the last month? Well, in the last month, a lot of stuff within Virginia schools became huge public policy Huge questions for the Virginia debate. These huge, big cultural questions about are we going to teach critical race theory in Virginia public schools? What role should parents have in helping shape public school curriculum? Where the Democrats actually let down their guard and said parents should have no say, basically. In public schools in parents should have no say in the kinds of curriculum that are used in public schools. A big fat middle finger to the parents who pay the taxes that fund the public schools, who send their children to these public schools. So these parents who are frustrated by continuing mask mandates without much scientific evidence to back up the notion that they're helpful for a population that is at enormously low risk getting or getting particularly ill from COVID. You have the mask stuff. You have critical race theory. You have all kinds of dissatisfaction with teachers unions. And McAuliffe embraced the teachers unions, was bringing Randy Weingarten, who I think is, she's the president of, I think, the the National Education Association, uh, one of the biggest national teachers unions in the country. He brings her in for his closing rally. And is just going with this theme of, yeah, parents shouldn't be the ones dictating what's in public school curriculum. And over the last month, with Youngkin
0: really leaning in. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: I, I think before this, Youngkin was looked at as a pretty milquetoast Republican. Nobody thought he was anything to write home about. He was about as, as you know, Chamber of Commerce approved, uh, or, you know, f- talking mostly about fiscal conservative stuff, kind of shying away from social issues. Not exactly, you know, the kind of Republican who loses all the time in California. And he brilliantly realized he he found something with this CRT issue and he leaned into it he really leaned into it and over the course of the last month crept closer and closer and closer and now he's going to win 51 to 48 so what does that tell us i think it tells us this that the conventional republican wisdom of oh stay away from those social issues those right oh those are the things that just distract people let's focus on the real issues no the social issues are the real issues the social issues are the real issues they're more real in many ways than fiscal conservative issues i'm not saying fiscal conservatism isn't a real issue i'm saying that i'm not saying that out of control spending and inflation and stuff i'm not saying those aren't real problems but guess what how we form our children in schools that's a real issue that's a concrete thing that drives suburban white women voters the kinds of voters that trump couldn't win and that glenn youngkin won in spades if you bring this issue to the forefront people will come out guess what suburban mommies who happen to be white They don't like it when their kids are told in school that they're racist just by virtue of being white. They don't like it. And if you've got one party saying, we don't like this crap, and we're going to fight to get rid of it in our public schools, and another party saying, hey, parents have no place in dictating the curriculum in public schools, guess who they're going to vote for? It's pretty obvious. So I think the two big lessons of this election is, one, an understanding, a balanced understanding of the pluses that Trump brought to the Republican Party and some of the minuses. As far as whom he brings to the party, non-college educated whites, Latino voters, and whom he repelled from the party, white suburban voters. Acknowledge Trump's strengths and weaknesses and also understand that if you really lean into, actually embrace some of these social issues where we know liberals are insane, liberals are out of touch with the whole country. Hey, how about on a, on a national electoral level, have someone say, Mr. Biden, you are endorsing a bill that would have mandated nationally abortion to be legal for all nine months of pregnancy for any reason. That, just as an example, Mr. Biden, you're endorsing critical race theory in every public school in America. Do you really want to teach white children that they're racist just by virtue of being white? Which is kind of a key facet of critical race theory. So those are the kinds of issues where we are, we are supporting popular positions. Lean into it. Now, when we return, who really controls the Democratic Party? The SALT deduction and why the Democrats are actually controlled by a bunch of totally out-of-touch rich people. Next, on The John Girardi Show.
0: The John Girardi Show. Power Talk, 96.7, AM, 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk, 96.7 and AM, 1400. One of the stories that
1: I have found most wildly entertaining as the Democrats are wrangling over these enormous Biden spending bills and they can't get Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin on board. Uh, they're you know, what are we going to pass first? What are we going to pass second? How much are we going to spend? Joe Manchin's like, hey, I'm not actually a liberal. My voters are not actually liberals. So I don't care that, <laughs> you know, I don't care. Like there's no threat that the Democrats can make against him. That is going to make him change his position on the spending bill. Like these liberal activists hold no sway over Joe Manchin, uh, given that he's a Democrat representing a state where Donald Trump won by 40 percent, well, by by 40 points. OK, Joe Manchin is not scared of these Democrats. Anyway. In this whole spending brouhaha where Bernie Sanders plays a key role because he's the chair of the Senate Budget Committee. In spite of not understanding certain basic math, uh, Sanders was complaining about a month ago that two Democrat senators cannot be allowed to undo the work of forty-eight senators. It's like, well, it's not two Democrat senators; it's two Democrat senators and fifty Republican senators. <laughs> and last I checked, uh, if you have a vote in the United States Senate and forty-eight guys want it, forty-eight people want to do something, and fifty-two people don't want to do something, generally the fifty-two win. Just kind of how things work in a uh, legislative body when they vote on things that the majority actually wins, not loses. Anyway, so a a lot of people are involved in this thing. But one thing that has been a priority for a certain class of Democrats. All of the Democrat senators who have second homes seem to uh, (laughs) to view this way. Although Bernie Sanders has a pretty nice digs and does not view it this way. But anyway. Chuck Schumer has been the poster boy for this. Now, Schumer is, I would say, a very mainstream Democrat. He's the Senate majority leader. About as mainstream as you can get. Who are his constituents? Who are the people who really drive him as an elected official? Oh, you follow the money. His donor base is a lot of wealthy people with big houses, And nice, really, really, really nice apartments in New York City and on Long Island, right? He's got a lot on Long Island and, you know, Westchester County. All these big, super wealthy environs of New York City. And it's this donor class of the Democrat Party that has taken over the Democrat Party, over and above the working class voters, as Democrats lose more and more working class voters and become more and more the party of the suburbs, the party of the upper middle class. And the genuinely upper class who who make up the vast, vast bulk of the Democrat donor base. We see that Bernie Sanders isn't going to get nominated president. He's never going to do it. Never, ever, 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 ever. Bernie was not allowed to win in 2016. He was not allowed to win in 2020. Because that donor constituency was not going to allow it. As Bernie, Bernie was this huge threat in 2020, Biden wasn't doing that well. Biden finally wins South Carolina. And what happens? That donor class, they go to Elizabeth Warren. They go to Pete Buttigieg. They go to Amy Klobuchar. They tell them all, you're all dropping out. And you're all going to give your support to Biden. Warren didn't actually wind up endorsing anybody, but Buttigieg did. Klobuchar did. They both endorsed Biden. And we'll take care of you on the back end. Pete Buttigieg gets to become transportation secretary. Gets to, you know, take two months off when he and his gay husband adopt their babies. So, the people who control the Democrat Party are the donor class. It's the people with expensive homes in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia and Maryland The people with big expensive homes on Cape Cod, the people with mansions on Martha's Vineyard, on Long Island, and the people with big expensive houses in San Francisco and Marin County and Silicon Valley and Hollywood. Those are the people who run the Democrat Party. Those are the people. And in Napa Valley, all right? There was recently this big, huge Democrat congressional shindig fundraiser in Napa. Nancy Pelosi was holding court with these gazillions. Like, this is the Democrat Party, okay? This is them. Now, in no way do we see the phoniness of the Democrat Party more clearly than in this debate over the SALT tax deduction. State and local taxes. All right. Prior to the Trump tax cuts, one of the big deductions that was very helpful for high income taxpayers or for very wealthy taxpayers was the state and local taxes deduction. Basically, you could deduct a huge percentage of what you pay in state and local taxes. And this chiefly benefits people with big, expensive homes who pay a lot in property taxes. You can deduct A lot of that, I think back in the day, there wasn't a cap on it. So you could deduct all of that from your federal income taxes. With the Trump tax cut, he actually put a cap on those kinds. uh, He put a cap on how much you could deduct in state and local taxes. And this was an interesting thing about the Trump tax cut was that it actually did benefit the middle class. More so than the upper, upper, upper class in that sense. I mean, there were some people, a higher income, you know, a higher income bracket type voters. Some of them actually wound up paying a little more under the Trump tax cut because of how he capped the salt deduction. Now, very interestingly, the party that was most like perturbed about this was the Democrats. Chuck Schumer basically made, and again, let us let me remind you what I just said about Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer is in power because of the goodwill of very wealthy donors from Long Island, from New York City, and from its environs. He is as mainstream Democrat as you can get. Chuck Schumer started having this campaign, this little personal, you know, crusade, To reinstate the SALT deduction. Why? Because, again... Now, you may be shocked at this. A Democrat wanting a tax cut? A Democrat wanting people to... Rich people. Chiefly rich people. To deduct more money so, so they can pay less money in federal income tax? Aren't these the same Democrats who just, you know, go on and on? Oh, the millionaires and the billionaires need to pay their fair share. And yet he's he's fighting for the salt deduction. Doesn't make any sense. Well, it kind of does make sense, given where the Democrats' bread is being truly buttered. It's being buttered by the billionaire donor class. I mean, I, again, not, not to keep repeating myself, but uh, why is Kamala Harris the vice president? Why did Joe Biden pick Kamala Harris, someone he had never worked with, She was not in the Senate when he was in the Senate. She was not in the Senate when he was vice president. He's never worked with her. They're from opposite sides of the country. And they ran for president against each other. And she openly called him a racist to his face and said that she believed Tara Reid, the woman who accused Joe Biden of sexual assault. So why did Joe Biden pick Kamala Harris? It's pretty obvious. The donors like her. The billionaire donors from San Francisco, Marin County, Silicon Valley, they like Kamala Harris, and they told him, you're going to pick Kamala Harris. That's why she's the vice president. The donor class runs the Democrat Party. So here's the CBS News story. A provision in the Trump tax plan has become a sticking point for some Democrats as they work to reach a deal on the $1.7 trillion social spending plan. A group of moderate lawmakers are pushing to repeal the so-called SALT deduction cap in the reconciliation package, saying no SALT, no deal. But other Democrats are trying to slam the brakes on the idea. The state and local tax deduction cap set to expire at the end of 2025 limits the amount of state and local taxes that taxpayers can deduct from their federal taxes to 10,000 bucks. That hits taxpayers in high tax and predominantly Democratic coastal states harder. So they're just acknowledging that Democrats want this tax cut. They don't care about the other taxes, but this tax cut, that's the one they want. But as Democrats, and it's so funny because this is parts of the country that have very high property values. A lot of these people are making their money off of investments, not so much off of income. So they want to have that, keep that low capital gains tax rate, get, allow themselves to deduct state and local taxes. This is, even if they increase income tax by a gazillion, it's not going to hurt them. They're This, this is the the phony liberalism this phony liberalism where you pretend to be oh we need the party of the working guy we need the billionaires to pay their fair share to help fund resources for the lower class and here's the bil- the actual billionaires you know what if we do that but in a way where we don't actually have to spend a lot of money maybe let's 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 get the sort of upper middle class you know business owners who live in Texas who are republicans who have, maybe have more income who have more salary-based income, have them pay more, but not us coastal elites, you know, who live in Democrat states who have expensive homes. Anyway, so the SALT deduction hits taxpayers in high states, predominantly Democratic coastal states, harder. But as Democrats from those areas work to lift the cap, others say doing so would be a tax cut for the rich. Duh. The cap on the SALT deduction remains a punishing blow to our home states of New York and New Jersey. As we work to recover from the pandemic and get our economies on strong footing and our constituents back to work, said representatives Tom Swozy of New York and Josh Gottheimer and Mickey Sherrill of New Jersey in a statement Tuesday. It's not helping any working class person. This is helping upper class people with big houses. None of them got hurt at all during the pandemic. They're fine. Speaking to reporters, Gothheimer said he has been pushing for a full reinstatement of the deduction as part of the deal, though he would not say how long he wants that reinstatement to be in effect, blah, 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 blah. So Bernie Sanders is like all upset about this and just shocked, shocked to realize that he's like, well, I I don't want to put in a tax break for billionaires. That's not what this is about. I'd be willing to have it if it's more targeted to... Middle class people, but not for, not a tax cut for billionaires. Like Bernie Sanders is shocked to learn, hey, Bernie, it's not your party. You didn't win in 2016. You didn't win in 2020. It's not your party. It's Joe Biden's party. And who backs Joe Biden? It's the Democrat donor class who don't want to pay as much in taxes. Yeah, you know, you now trot AOC wearing a dress that says tax the rich on her butt all you want. But it's not her party and it's not your party. It's Joe Biden's party. These are the people who run the Democrat party. When we come back, how these people assuage their guilt over being a bunch of phony social liberals. By being even more vigorous, uh, by being phony social being phony fiscal liberals, they assuage their guilt by being ever more radical social liberals. We'll explain it next on the John Girardi show. The
0: John Girardi show. Power Talk 967 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7 and AM 1400. I've been talking
1: about the Democrat efforts, uh, efforts of a bunch of Democrats from New York, New Jersey, states with lots of high income Democrat donors with big, expensive houses. Uh, The efforts of these Democrats to reinstate the SALT deduction, the SALT deduction is the state and local tax deduction, which uh, Trump capped in the big Trump tax cut. In which Democrats from these high-income blue states well uh, they've been furious about it ever since because they own these big houses and they can't deduct all of their sales ta- uh, excuse me all of their uh, property taxes that they're paying and we now see the Democrats trying to stuff this into one of the big spending bills that Congress is kicking around back and forth and Bernie Sanders is completely shocked understand as I repeat it, Joe Biden was the candidate and the Democrat Party is controlled by wealthy donors, wealthy donors from the coasts with big, expensive houses. They, they are phony fiscal liberals who say, oh, yes, the billionaires should pay their fair share. But not me. I'm a I'm a mere millionaire. Um, they are phony fiscal liberals. And these are the people who run the party. Now, how do they assuage their guilt? How do they assuage their guilt of being supposedly these wonderful liberals who are gazillionaires while the working class you know, goes about in rags? The way they do it is by doubling down on their social liberalism. Look, you see this in California. They double down on social liberalism and environmentalism. In California, you've got people like Gordon Getty. One of the various billionaires who has backed Gavin Newsom his whole political career. And Gordon Getty has, in fact, backed Gavin Newsom his whole adult life. And Getty is a billionaire. He inherited lots of money from the Getty Oil Company. So how does he assuage his guilt of being a billionaire while gazillions of people in San Francisco are going around homeless? Well, he does it by doubling down on social liberalism. Gavin Newsom is rabidly pro-choice. He is rabidly pro-LGBT. He is radically pro-CRT in schools. He is radically in favor of all these different environmental things. Oh, we can, you know. Here's Gordon Getty, heir to the this, you know, billionaire oil kingdom, who's like, oh, let me assuage my, <laughs> let me assuage my existential guilt. By, you know, supporting candidates who are going to impose all these environmental regulations that are mostly just going to annoy, you know, middle class uh, people and won't actually impact my life at all. So that's that's the mindset of the Democratic Party. It's run by a bunch of hypocritical rich people. That'll do it for the John Girardi show. We'll see you tomorrow on Power Talk.
0: The John Girardi show. Power Talk. Ninety six seven. A.M. Fourteen hundred. And the iHeartRadio app.